This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. God bless you, and it's so good to be in Zimbabwe. I bring greetings to you from my church in Beaumont, Texas. Cathedral Church, hopefully some of them will be watching online this weekend, but I bring you greetings from my church. My name is Randy Felshaw. My wife, Suzanne, is here with me. And please know that we are honored to be here with you today. God bless you. There is so much that could be said and should be said about Pastor Tom and Bonnie Duchelle and this great church, but time will not permit it. So let me just say that we love your pastors. We already love your church and your people. They've been so gracious and kind to us. I was sharing with the pastor just yesterday that when, when the people greeted us and they welcomed us and they took care of us, the sons of the house, I told him they represent you well. Your sons represent you well. As they stood here just a moment ago, uh, joining hands, standing together in unity, the sons of this house, and that word sons, I'll use much this morning, but it's gender neutral. It speaks of male and female, but the sons of the house, they honor him and Pastor Bonnie, and they honor you well. So would you give your staff, would you give your senior pastors a big hand? We do love them and appreciate them. Amen. I was born again on August the 3rd, 1975 at 2630 South 11th Street in Beaumont, Texas. A week later, on August the 11th, at a Monday night prayer meeting, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Several months later, at the age of 15, I went to my senior pastor, my spiritual father, who was Bert Clendenin, and I shared with him that I felt called to preach. And thus began my wife and I at 15, I'm ministry at the age of 19. We met at 15, she heard me preach my very first message, and at the age of 17, we were married, I was already preaching, at the age of 19, we were on the road traveling and preaching the gospel. So, now I don't recommend that to everybody, but it worked for us. 19... 82, we had our first child, my son Justin. And that year, Brother Clendenin, who had been mentoring me all those years, he asked me to go to Africa with him. And so in 1982, I came to Africa for the first time. It was Kinshasa, Zaire then. And that first trip, some 38 years ago, was him and I preaching at a pastor's conference. And here I am today. Then I went as a mentee. And now I've come full circle. And today I come back as a mentor. And so this morning, as Pastor Tom just mentioned, we've watched as God has been weaving together a storyline. And as I've listened to Pastor Tom last night and this morning, and then our brother who just spoke a moment ago in unity, and we saw the sons of the house come together, I was amazed as I've watched God just weave this together and bring us to this, mo this moment now. 
So I want you to sense that this is a divine appointment. I want you to sense that you're not here by accident, that God brought you here for a reason. Last night during worship, God spoke to me and he said, this is the season of the sons. And so I believe that this morning God's going to speak to us. I believe that God is building. As I looked at the, at the notes on the conference, they shared with me that the desire was to challenge all of us to reach a place of maturity. Uh, the importance of the mouth being the year on the Hebraic calendar, the year of pay. That this is a time for the mature sons of God to rise up and to understand their place and their assignment more clearly. And that this is a time to return to fire. This is a time to understand the importance of prayer and how that our prayer needs to be strategic. And so last night, as Pastor Tom reminded us of how powerful our mouth is. This morning, talking about strategic prayer, and then just a moment ago in unity, and how that we need to pray together. Corporate prayer releases a corporate anointing. As we see this being weaved together, I believe that this morning my assignment is to speak to the sons, to speak to you, to show you how important it is that you take your place. Because the unity of the sons and the fathers does release the fire. So with that said, let's get started. I want you to understand how important it is that we restore to the church the lost art of mentoring. The gospel and the kingdom of God is built on relationship, covenant relationship. In Joel chapter 2, and verse 28, he said, I will pour out my spirit on your sons and your daughters, and they shall prophesy. Old men will dream dreams, and young men will have visions. You have to understand how important this is, that old men dream how it once was until young men catch a vision of how it could be again. In my lifetime, I've been privileged to be a part of two moves of God. And I'm reaching that age now where I dream. And I dream of the moves of God in the past. And I share those stories with young men like you sitting here this morning. And it's my heart and my desire that you would catch a vision of what God once did, God can do again. We listen to the stories of Pastor Tom and Pastor Bonnie and how that God brought them to Zimbabwe and how they birthed this great ministry. And those stories inspire us. And they share those stories to inspire you to believe that what God did then, God can do now. It is so important that we maintain that lost art of mentoring. It's so important because Malachi closes out the Old Testament with a warning. He spoke about Elijah coming again and how that he would turn the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers because if that unity is not there then the nation would live under a curse I want you to understand how important it is that we have spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers that are raising up spiritual sons and spiritual daughters because without that relationship between the mentor and the mentee then we are people that are living under a curse 
our mind goes to 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 18, and time will not permit me to read this entire story to you, but you're familiar with it. And you remember this story, how that Elijah touched Elisha with a mantle, and Elisha sacrificed the oxen. He left his parents to follow after the man of God, and he followed him all the way here to 2 Kings chapter 2. Wherever Elijah went, Elisha went. And here in this story, Elijah is reaching the end of his journey. He's getting ready to be taken from this earth. And the Bible tells us that he turned to Elisha and he said, why don't you just stay here and I will go there. Again and again, he said to Elisha, why don't you just stay here? And Elisha refused to. He kept his eyes upon the man of God and he refused to lose sight of him all of my life. Men of God, women of God have been my heroes. In services, I'd always try to sit next to them or pray next to them or hang out with them or be around them because what was on them, I wanted it on me. And Elisha said to Elijah, wherever you go, I am going. The Bible goes on to tell us that Elijah came to the river Jordan. He crossed it with the mantle. He parted the water. He went across and Elisha followed after him. But I just want to pick it up in verse 12 and read the last few verses here. It's that in Elisha saw that his father was taken up in a whirlwind. And he cried out, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more, but he took hold of his own clothes and he tore them in pieces. And he picked up, verse 13, the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him. And he went back and he copied what he, he saw his father do. And he stood by the banks of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah and he struck the water. And he said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided. And Elisha crossed over. I want you to notice there that as the chariots came down and snatched up Elijah, he dropped his mantle Elisha, as he watched him grow, go up, he cried out, my father, my father, the horsemen and the chariots of Israel. That in the Hebrew speaks about the strength of the nation. He was acknowledging that you are the strength of our nation. Don't leave us without passing your mantle. Don't leave us without passing your anointing. For so long, we've been dependent upon you. He cried out to him, my father, my father, remember me. You remember at this time, Elijah had turned to Elisha and his departure was at hand. The old man was getting ready to, to finish this race and he turned to that young preacher and he said, what can I do for you? And Elisha said, I would ask of you a double portion of your spirit. Now, I understand there are those who preach that he did double the miracles that Elijah did, but you have to understand the Jewish culture and what he was saying to him. He was simply saying to that old man, let me be your firstborn son. Let me be the one that's in line to get your mantle. I want the rights of the firstborn son. I want your inheritance to be passed to me instead of to those 50 sons of the prophets that were on the other side of the River Jordan watching this story unfold. He said, whatever you do, make sure that you pass to me your mantle. 
And the Bible says that the mantle fell and Elisha picked it up. Let's title this today, My Father's Mantle. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask you to bless the reading of your word. We ask you to speak to us in this moment. Holy Spirit, we've watched you in this Kairos moment as you have weaved this prayer conference together. Let this, let this be just one more step as we go from glory to glory. I pray this in Christ's name. Give me the anointing for this moment. Anoint my lips. Make me a wordsmith to speak for you and not about you. I pray it in Christ's name. And everyone said amen. 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 I want to take you through this story very quickly and just point out seven things that I believe are practical applications for you and me. The first thing I want you to see is the garments of our fathers. The garments of our fathers. In Exodus chapter 28 and verse 4 we read, They are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons so they may serve me as priests. Now Moses was given instruction that he was to make special garments for Aaron and his sons so they could serve effectively within the temple. So the first thing I want you to know this morning is, number one, you have to learn to pass your garments. You have to learn to pass your mantle. Now, when it comes to leadership, we understand that there is no success without a successor. It's very important that we understand uh, the relationship between a father and a son, a mother and a daughter. You see, as fathers, we have to know that our assignment is not completed until we pass our mantle. We have to know that. You have to understand that Aaron was not permitted to die until he had passed his garments to his next generation. We read this in Numbers chapter 20. It said, remove Aaron's garments and put them on his son, for Aaron will be gathered his people and he will die there. You have to know that Aaron was not permitted to pass away until he was successful in passing his garments or his mantle to the next generation. There is no success without a successor. That's why the optic that we had here just a moment ago was so powerful. As you saw the father of this house, Pastor Tom, standing there with his sons and daughters wrapping around this congregation. The optic there is so powerful to see this. You have to know that God never intended for mantles to be worn as grave clothes. You're never to take your mantle or your anointing to the grave. You're to run your race. And you are to do, as Paul said, you are to empty yourself. He said, I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering. You have to run and run hard and run until there's nothing left inside of you. You have to empty it all out. As they say in sports, leave it all out on the field. You have to leave it all there. You can't take your anointing or your mantle to the grave. You have to know that sons and daughters, they have to experience they have to experience touching that which is sacred and the presence of their fathers. It said in, in, in Exodus that Aaron was to take his garments and he was to pass them to his son. There was a mentoring process that took place there. His son would watch his father as he performed the duties of the high priest in the temple. He would watch him as he went about the routine and the process of that great tabernacle. And we have to understand that our sons and daughters today have to be able to touch the sacred. 
whether it's preaching or teaching or leading worship or praying in the altars, our sons and daughters have to be able to touch that which is sacred in the presence of their fathers and mothers so that we can mentor them and train them and equip them to do works of service. Leviticus chapter 16 reads, the priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He is to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place. Fathers must ensure the succession of their sons. We have a responsibility. I want every minister in the house, male, female, every minister in the house that's 50 years old or older, would you please stand? Everyone that's 50 and older, ministers, pastors, evangelists, would you please stand? All ministers, all ministers, 50 and up, would you please stand? Our fathers and our mothers, we have a responsibility to make sure, to ensure the succession of our sons and daughters. We're to make sure that we pass our mantles effectively to our sons and daughters because God never intended for you to wear your mantle as a grave clothe. Would you be seated? God bless you. Give them a hand. The second thing I want you to know in this story of Elijah and Elisha is that the strength of the generations is so important. Elijah had to make sure, ensure the succession of his son, Elisha. It was so important because of the strength of that man. You have to know that the double portion, speaking of the rights of the firstborn son, the one that will stand in line and receive the mantle, that double portion requires a generation times two. It demands a father and a son. Deuteronomy 21 reads, that son, firstborn, is the first sign of his father's strength. The right of the firstborn belongs to him. The word strength there in the Hebrew, it speaks of generational power, strength, and wealth. And we have to know that there must be that effective uh, uh, transition between the father and the son. Without that, there is no double portion. Without a father, without a son, without a mother, without a daughter, there is no double portion. We must maintain the strength of the generations. As I mentioned a moment ago, 38 years ago, I was in Africa as a mentee with my spiritual father, the mentor. He was, pre he was speaking and preaching and training those pastors. And now here I am doing what he did then. That's the way we maintain the double portion or the strength of the generations. You have to remember that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And with each generation, we should get stronger. We should get better. We should get wiser. We should be better every, with every generation. We have to make sure that we pass the mantle effectively. We can't drop it. We can't lose it. The church is so bad about starting, advancing, stopping, and then having to back up and start all over again. When Pastor Tom and Bonnie's time comes and they transition from this house, they need to know there'll be sons and daughters that will rise up and pick up the mantle and not back up but move forward. The next generation should be better than the previous generation because he's the God of Abraham who then becomes the God of Jacob. Come on, guys. He is the God. He is a generational God. 
He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've got to maintain the strength of the generations. The strength, the strength of the generations. If we lose, if we lose this process, understand Psalms 105. Then he struck down all the firstborn in their land, the firstfruits of all their manhood. Do you understand why the enemy works so hard to divide fathers and sons, mothers and daughters? He works overtime trying to bring a division between leaders and those that follow. He works hard to bring division in the house because when we lose the firstborn, when we lose him, we lose the fruit of the manhood. We strike down the firstborn. You kill the next generation. Understand that he's striving. He's working hard to divide you from your father or from your mother. Old men must dream dreams. Old men must dream dreams until young men can catch a vision. We have to do this. We must. I have my stories that I can tell, but they're my stories. The next generation may be inspired by them, by them, but they must experience their own stories. They have to experience their own move of God. But it takes the presence of a father with a son to maintain the double portion, to maintain the strength of the generations, to make us strong, and to be the church that God's called us to be, we must restore the lost art of mentoring back to the house. In America, we struggle with the orphan spirit. As I travel across the nation, and I talk about spiritual fathers and mothers, and I talk about my fathers and how they impacted my life. It's not uncommon for men to come up to me, young and older, and say to me, I've never had a spiritual father. And I have found in the States that there are two kinds of sons. Those that were abandoned. They, their pastors just didn't know how to be a father because they were never fathered. And the second group are those that were abused. It's so easy in the States to take on titles that we believe puts us in position and that demands that people serve them. We, we don't understand true leadership so often in America. We use titles like apostle and prophet to serve ourselves, to have people carry our briefcase, wash our car. Now, serving is important. I served and I continue to serve men of God. But you have to know that as a man of God, I am uncomfortable with being served. Here in this house, your associates, your sons and daughters are so good at serving. And each time they try to take something from me, whether it's my briefcase or, or, or my jacket, I, I still struggle with it. I, I'm still not comfortable with it. They need to serve and I need to let them serve, but I don't ever need to get comfortable with it. I don't ever need to get to the place where I demand it. I expect it because fathers serve and hold up the sons. They lift them up. Fathers, fathers and mothers spend their life ensuring the success of their sons and daughters. That's what they should do. Titles and, and, and positions are not given to me so that people can serve me, but they're given to me so I can serve others. 
That's what it means to be a real leader. That's what it means to be a real man of God, that you lay down your life for others. Strength. Strength. Strength in the house. It comes from fathers and sons and mothers and daughters. Strength in the house. We have to maintain it. Old men dreaming dreams until young men catch a vision. The third thing I want you to see in this story is the sacred garments. The sacred garments that were given to Aaron and his sons that were passed down from generation to generation to generation. Those garments did not belong to Aaron. They belonged to that position. And it was passed down from generation to generation. The Bible describes these garments. And I just want to look at the symbolism of the sacred garments. Number one, there was a blue robe. And that blue robe spoke of a heavenly origin. Number two, there was whiteness that spoke of purity. Number three, there was gold and broadery on it. And that spoke of the favor of God on that position. Number four, there were stones on the shoulders that, were, that spoke of responsibility. And then last of all, there were stones on the breastplate which spoke of the heart of the priest and how he was to hold the heart of God for the people. In Exodus chapter 28 and verse 2, it reads, Make sacred garments for Aaron to give him dignity and to give him honor. When I was a boy growing up, as I mentioned, I grew up under Burt Clendenin. Now, Burt Clendenin, he was a Marine, in, in, uh, or he was a sergeant in the Marine Corps in World War II. He fought at Guadalcanal, Peleliu. He was out there for almost three years, I believe. When he came back to the States, he was a rough guy. He worked in the oil fields of West Texas. He became an alcoholic, and he was rough. But God saved him, a radical salvation filled him with the spirit and called him to preach the gospel. And that same discipline that he, brought, that he had in the Marine Corps, he brought into the ministry. He used to teach me as a boy. He'd say, son, shine your shoes and hold your head up wherever you go. Remember that you're a man of God. Wherever you go and whatever you do, whatever you say, you recognize the fact that you've been bought with a price. Your life is not your own. What may be permissible for others is not permissible for you because you're a man of God. You're set apart. Even then, not knowing it, he was describing to me the sacred garments of Aaron. He was speaking to me about holiness and integrity, righteousness, purity. He was reminding me of the stones upon my shoulders and the responsibility that I carried. He was reminding me often about the heart of God. He would say, you're not to speak about God. You're to speak for God. You're to be his voice to the people Make sure, son, when you walk into a room, you walk in and you realize that you're a man of God. And men of God should shift the atmosphere within a room. Men of God should carry the presence of God with them. You're different. You're set apart. Your life is not your own. And if you can't live up to that, then get out of the ministry. But understand that you've been called. You've been set apart. You've been sanctified for sacred use. An old Marine. Shine your shoes, son, and hold your head up. You're a man of God. We have to pass this down to the next generation. We have to place such a high value in our son's heart so that the world can never afford him. Whenever 
Potiphar's wife tempted Joseph. You remember, Joseph did not say, I'm not tempted by you. He just, he just simply said, I cannot so sin against my master. I can't sin against my calling, the purpose for my life. I can't sin against who I am and what I'm called to do. He couldn't do it. And so he ran from her. He ran from the temptation. He ran from himself. He got away from her, and he thought, you're not worth it. I won't trade the anointing of God on my life for just a moment with you. It's not worth it. We have to place such a value in our young people and our young preachers and our young men and women. We have to place such a value in them that the world could never afford them. Oftentimes in my life, when temptation comes my way, I see Brother Clinton and standing there. I see Brother Kilpatrick who picked me up after him and begin and continue to mentor me. I see these two spiritual fathers and I hear them vo their voices in my head saying, remember who you are, son. Remember you're a man of God. Remember the price that's been, uh, that's been placed upon you. They put such a value in my heart that the world can never afford me. She ain't worth it. He ain't worth it. It ain't worth it. Come on, guys, you got to know it. It ain't worth it. I value the presence of God on my life. I value the anointing. And like Joseph, I say, I can't so sin against my God. I can't sin against the anointing. I can't sin against the calling. Isaiah 32 verse 8 reads, but the noble man makes noble plans, and by noble deeds he stands nobility. There's a lot of news right now about the royal family and how that they have responsibilities and how that they're trying to pull away from that. But in the kingdom of God, you have to understand that you're of royal blood. You have to understand that you're nobility. You're, you're, you're of the royal family of God. And when you understand that, there's a sense of nobility about you, not being arrogant, not being proudful. Being a man or a woman of brokenness and humility. But understand that there is nobility here. And with nobility comes obligation. With nobility comes responsibility. With nobility, wherever I go, I represent the kingdom. Wherever I go, I represent this sacred desk. And I cannot do anything that would bring a reproach upon this desk or this calling or this church or this kingdom. I can't do it. There's nobility here this morning. Talks about in the Jewish culture how that the young man, when he reaches the age of 12, he goes through what's called bar mitzvah. Now, the bar mitzvah, it means son of the commandment. Son of the commandment. And even here today, I pray you go through a bar mitzvah and you realize that you're under commandment that you've been given orders, that you've got a purpose in this life. You've got a position in this life. You're of royalty, nobility. And with that nobility comes obligation. Know this, that integrity never goes on sale. Never goes on sale. And you will always pay full price. Integrity. We're talking about the sacred garments that have been entrusted to you. The fourth thing I want you to see. Going through the story of Elijah, Elisha, looking at the mantle of our fathers, looking at the sacred garments that were given to Aaron and his sons, 
The fourth thing I want you to see is what's called the seven-day anointing or saturation. You see, the sons were to wear the priestly garments for seven days, soaking in the fragrance of their fathers, compelling the act of, or completing the act of consecration and anointing. Seven days. Exodus 29, Aaron's sacred garments will belong to his descendants, will belong to his descendants. Your ministry is not your own. It's not yours. This church is not yours. The church belongs to him. Amen? Let's just keep ourselves, let's, let's keep ourselves with the right perspective. Nobility, yes, but understand I own nothing. It all belongs to him. It belongs to the descendants so that they can be anointed and ordained in them. The son who succeeds him as priest and comes to the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place is to wear them seven days. For seven days. This is a mantle that someone brought to me from Israel. For seven days. Aaron was not permitted to die until he has successfully passed his garments to the next generation. For seven days, that boy would put on those garments and he would walk around and he would soak in the years of blood, sweat, and tears. Blood, sweat, and tears. Pastor Tom spoke of that, of how that so often young men will rise up and say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And they don't understand the price that comes with that. But for seven days... Those young priests would walk around with those garments on, soaking in the anointing, a bone-soaking anointing. They would walk around and they would smell the fragrance of their fathers, the oil, the sweat. They would, they would soak in that fragrance of the prayers and the service that they did for years, soaking that in. I went to Austin. Suzanne and I went to Austin in 19... 92 to start a church, Austin, Texas. And it was a very challenging uh, time. It was hard. There were days when I wasn't sure I could bear the load. At one time, I was working a full-time job, a part-time job, and pastoring a church. The load was heavy. I remember one day I called Brother Clinton on the phone, and I said, Brother Clinton, and this was a hard town. Austin at that time, only 11% attended church. It was hard ground to plow. And his only response to me was, yes, it's a hard town, and it's going to take a hard man. I said, I get it. I hung up the phone, and I went back to work. And so there were times when I was in prayer, and there were times when I was struggling and fighting hell and going through all that I went through that I would stop, and I would, I would, I would sniff, and I would smell the fragrance of my fathers. And I would ask, what would Brother Clinton do? And, and what would Brother Kilpatrick do? How would they handle this? And now that I'm 58 years old, I still do that. When I go through trials and I face storms and there are times when I, I'm not sure what to do. And I'll, I'll smell the fragrance of my fathers. And I'll ask the question, what would they do? Guys, this morning, I want you to know there's a bone-soaking anointing that God wants to release on you. That's why this conference is so important for you. You need to be a part of this conference to soak in the anointing of Pastor Tom, to soak in the anointing of these spiritual fathers and mothers, to be a part of what's happening in this church. You need an anointing that will get down in your bones where you will say, as Jeremiah did, there's fire shut up in my bones. When the times get tough, you're able to reach down and just smell the fragrance 
of your fathers. The anointing, the anointing passed down from generation to generation to generation. This mantle, this mantle that was Brother Clendenin's, this mantle that was Brother Kilpatrick's, this mantle that I'm now picking up, it doesn't belong to me. And it's imperative that I find young men and young women and I give it to them. I give it to them. The spirit of competition, you gotta rip it out of our hearts. The insecurity, we gotta get it out of our hearts. Who cares? Who cares who gets credit? Who cares? It doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is that I successfully pass the mantle to the next generation, that I make sure that they're held up and they, that they succeed and go far beyond what I ever dreamed of. Their success is my success. Success. The success of the successor. The fifth thing I want you to see in this story. Where's my clock? How much time I got? I'm good? You don't have it. Okay, you lost the cards. Excellent. So, the fifth thing I want you to see is the rights of the firstborn son. As I mentioned earlier, when Elisha said, I want a double portion, he said, let me be the first one in line to get your inheritance. It's talking about sonship, sonship. In verse 9, he talked about this double portion. That's why he, caught, he cried out, my father, my father. He said, don't forget me. You see, there's a fatherless generation crying out for the rights of the firstborn. Every son wants to continue with the work of his father. I, in flying here, I was reminiscing. 38 years ago, 21 years old, in Kinshasa, Zaire, Brother Clendenin, pastor's conference. He's preaching. I'm watching. I'm learning. And I'm, I'm thinking back on those early days and the traveling that Suzanne and I did and, and all that, that took place there. And I was thinking, Father, please let me continue with what Brother Clinton had started. Let me continue in his pathway. Let me bring honor to him by making sure that I minister to those men and women of God. Let me do this. Every son, every daughter wants to continue the work of their spiritual father and their spiritual mother. They want to continue. That's why young men and young women try to hang out with pastors and leaders because they want to catch something. They want to pick up on something. They want to learn something. It's, as Pastor Tom mentioned earlier, it's zeal they have, it's wisdom they need because zeal without wisdom is dangerous. They need the wisdom of the fathers and mothers of the house. They want to continue. I remember the story of Ed and Paul Cole. Now, you remember Ed Cole wrote the book Maximize Manhood. But on his deathbed, as Paul, his son, was standing there next to him, he grabbed him and pulled him up close, and he asked him a question. In regards to the ministry, he asked him, he said, will you keep it going? And Paul looked at his dad, Ed. He said, Dad, don't worry. Me and your grandsons will keep this going. And then Paul made this statement. The identity of a son is shaped by the breath of his father. The identity of a son. 
shaped by the breath of his father. We're talking about sonship. I've encountered so many sons and daughters, as I mentioned, either abandoned because we, we're not very good at mentoring. In America, we're insecure and we're trying to hold on. We're trying to hold on to this, not realizing that this is not mine. I hold it for just a season and then I give it to you. That's success. That's success. But we're not, we're not very good at that. And so we cling to things and we only share information with the next generation in increments. We don't want to give them too much too quick because we're threatened by them. We're insecure. We're, we're afraid of what they may do. But you see, we have to restore this because it's so important. Sonship. Their identity is shaped by our breath. They're longing for us to tell them who they are and what God has called them to do. Sonship. He said to him, he said to him, what can I do for you, son? He said, I want a double portion. I want the rights of the firstborn son. I want your inheritance. I want your mantle. That's why I have followed you all these years. Elijah kept saying to Elisha, why don't you just go on home to your mama? Elisha said, where you go, I go. I believe that boy slept with one eye open every night. Watch that old man of God. <laughs> Loyalty, Amen. faithful, perseverance, serving, watching, learning, refusing to be divided. Because if we lose the next generation, we lose the strength of the generations. We lose the double portion. The inheritance is lost. And the church is weakened. Got to have it. Got to have it. Sonship. Longing. Sons and daughters longing for the presence of their fathers and mothers. Longing to be around them. Just to hang out. At my church, my young associates, they're always asking me, can I drive you to the airport? Can I do anything for you? Can I help you? Can I do this? Because they're just wanting to spend time with me. That's all they want. I remember when I was just a boy, I'm in that mentoring process with Brother Clinton and at Victory Temple in Beaumont, Texas. And I heard that he was driving to Baton Rouge, Louisiana to preach. It was about three hours away. And so I asked him, I said, hey, pastor, can I drive you there? He said, sure you can. And so I climbed in. He had a, uh, you, you probably, well, you may, you may know what this is. It was a, a two-door red Cadillac. It, was, it had a Landau top. It had that leather top. Oh, it looked, it was horrible. Anyway, it was a red Cadillac. <laughs> and that, that old, it was a Mark IV, I think. And Mark IV has a real long nose on the front of it. It's like, it has like a 450 engine. It's a big old engine, big old long Cadillac. And, and we got in that thing and took off going down Interstate 10 from Beaumont, Texas to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And Brother Clinton is sitting over there. And, and we got about an hour outside of Beaumont, maybe two hours. And suddenly he turned over and he looked at me. And that big old red steering wheel is like this. And I'm barely looking over the top of that thing. And he looked at me and said, son, do you have a driver's license? I said, nope. didn't matter to me. I'd drive an old Cadillac down that highway. I'm thinking, I get three hours 
with the man of God. He can't get out of the car, so I can ask him anything I want to ask him. On December the 13th, 2009, he passed away at 86 years old. And that old Marine died with his boots on. He died in his home. He died of cancer, but he kept the faith up until the very end. And what I wouldn't give today for three hours in a car with him again. Yeah. 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 He turned to him and he said, this is what I want. And in verse 10, Elijah said, you ask a hard thing. Now, I've talked a lot about the garments of our fathers. I've talked a lot about catching the mantle of the previous generation. I've talked a lot about a bone-soaking anointing and getting something down deep inside of you that will hold you. God, help us. Nobility. Nobility. In America, there's a crisis in the priesthood. I'm just telling you in America, there's a crisis. When you go to hire preachers and hire staff in America, one of the first things you ask when you're looking for a reference is you just simply ask the question, are they clean? You just want to know they're clean, that there's no women in their background, that there's no drugs, that there's no abuse of money. You just want to know they're clean. And then if they're clean, we'll start there. Just, just start clean. Listen, guys, I'm telling you, I have prayed for years because of the men of God that were over me. I have prayed for years. Make me a man of a pure heart and clean hands. Let there be no accusation brought against me. Like Joseph with Potiphar's wife, I cannot so sin against my mantle. You can't have it. I won't let you have it. You got to fight for it. When temptation comes, you got to fight for it. When hell comes, you got to fight for it. When she shows up in high heels, you got to fight for it. When he shows up in tight blue jeans, you got to fight for it. When it comes knocking on your door, you got to say no. No matter how cute she may be or how good he smells, you got to fight for it. Nobody is worth it. Nothing is worth your anointing. And the mantle that's been entrusted to your care. The Bible says there's a great cloud of witnesses watching us this morning. Pastor Summerall, Pastor Clendenin, and others, they're watching Pastor Tom and I. And they're cheering us on saying, run the race, boys. Finish the course. Keep the faith. Fight a good fight. Don't do anything that would bring shame upon this kingdom. Nobility. Nobility. The garments, the mantles of our fathers. It's a hard thing, though. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. It's not easy. Following Brother Clendenin and Brother Kilpatrick through the years hasn't always been easy. It hasn't been. Now listen to me. Here's a statement I wasn't going to say, but it's, it's not in my notes, but I want you to get this. If you have a quitting point inside of you, the excuse will find you. If there's a quit in you, if you've got quit in you, the excuse will find you. It will come. If you're looking for an excuse, it will find you. So you got to get the quit out of you. Oh, you got to get the quit. I, I, what time did I start? Don't let me go over. I don't want to abuse my privileges. Listen, there, there, you, you got to get the quit out of you. You know how you do that? You do what Elisha did. Elijah comes around. He just comes and he just, all he does is he just passes a mantle over that boy. And that boy felt something. 
He felt an anointing that he never felt before. And so what does he do? He's already a man of vision. He's plowing a field during a drought. He's already believing for God to move. And suddenly an old man shows up with a mantle and passes it over him. And that boy says, that's what I want. And so what he does is he kills the oxen. He builds an altar. He sacrifices those things. He burns the bridges behind him. And he takes off after a man of God. Turn to somebody and tell them, burn your ox. Burn your ox. you got to burn your ox. It's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. you got to know 1 Corinthians 4. For though you have 10,000 instructors, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ, I became your father through the gospel. You don't get to pick your father. Get mad at him, get over it. You don't get to choose your father. Sons don't do that. Sons don't do that. You accept the father that God gave you, and you remain loyal and faithful, and you serve. Until he does something to cause you to have to walk away, you serve your father faithfully. You need to know this. The leader you honor is the anointing that you receive. Elisha cried out, my father, my father, the horsemen and the chariots of Israel, you are the strength of our nation. Don't forget me. Pass to me your mantle. We've depended upon you for so long. Don't leave us without leaving us your mantle and your anointing. He cried out to him, and the mantle fell. He picked it up. Listen, he picked up the mantle of his father. The man of God that you honor is the anointing that you receive. That's why when you look at young men, whether they come out of this church or they come out of this ministry or out from under this man or woman of God, you notice they preach just a little bit like them. There seems to be some some similarities there. there. There's something there. It's because the man of God that you honor. That's why I hang out with men of God. I want to get around them. I want to be with them. I want what's on them to get on me. That's why you've got to make sure that you have your man, your woman, and you're faithful, you're loyal, and you serve them. We're faced with this dilemma in the States. those sons that have been abandoned because the pastor didn't know how to father or they were abused because the man of God the woman of God touched them inappropriately Ephesians 2.20 you are the members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets you see the problem we have in the states is that the America corporate mindset has worked its way into the church and in America, the pyramid of success is like this. And you, you climb the ladder to success, to the pinnacle. But in the kingdom of God, everything's inverted. It's like that. And in the kingdom, you don't go up, you go down. Okay? And you go down the ladder. You'll notice that at the top, I started out working in the church at the age of 15 for $2.50 an hour as a janitor. Back then, my options were like this. But through the years, as I became an evangelist, and then I became, or I was a a youth pastor, yeah, an evangelist, then a youth pastor, and then an associate, and then a senior pastor, and now I'm becoming a leader of leaders. I noticed that with each graduation, my options get more, more and more narrow. To where now, apostolically, 
I find myself becoming familiar with loneliness. In 2014, I called Brother Kilpatrick, who is now my mentor. Brother Clinton passed away, and Brother Kilpatrick is my guy. And I called him up, and I said, Brother Kilpatrick, I'm afraid I'm going to have to resign the church. And he said, why? I said, because the grace for me to pastor is lifted. Now, you have to understand that with the call of God comes a grace, the grace of God to do something, okay? So with the call of God, there comes a grace to endure the calling. And I was losing the grace to endure the calling. There were certain things about pastoring that I was uncomfortable with, and I, I just, I, I was struggling with it. And he began to laugh, and he said, Randy, you're not, you don't need to resign your church. You're just going through that transition from being a pastor, being more pastoral to being more apostolic, okay? And so I began to understand that, and so I got comfortable with it. And I understand that you have to delegate and raise up sons and daughters that can pick up things, and, and you have to, by, by freeing yourself of this, it allows you to focus on this, okay? And so I began to understand that my options were getting more and more and more narrow. And I began to realize that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Now, in the Bible, the apostles and prophets were the guys that, for the most part, they were martyred. And so when people come up to me today and they say, well, I'm prophet so-and-so, and that's okay, or I'm apostle so-and-so, then that's okay. I want to look at them and say, I, I am so sorry. And I'm going to pray for you. Because I understand the responsibility they have. But you have to see that in, 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 in the kingdom of God, the pyramid is inverted. And I have found that the more responsibility he gives me, the more humility I must take on. And, and, and you have to understand, if you say to me, well, what does a prophet and apostle look like? I, I'll show you what they look like. This is what an apostle. Now, you got to understand that so often in America, they, they get cards printed up, and I'm not against that. If you have a card, that's, you go for it. I'm not saying that, but I, I'm talking about this group of people in America that they have these cards printed up, and I'm a apostle, and I'm prophet, I'm whatever, and, and they've got these little guys that follow around with them carrying their briefcase and washing their car and doing their dry cleaning, and, and, and they're, they're just these little guys that run around with them. And, and they just love to be served, okay? And they take this position and this title and they abuse people with it, okay? But that's not what an apostle looks like. That, that's not what a prophet looks like. The, the Bible talks about the foundation of the church. It, it's built on the prophets and the apostles. So this is what an apostle looks like. This is what a prophet looks like. This is it right here. Listen, we stand on the bones of our fathers and mothers. Spiritual fathers and mothers make sure that their sons are successful. That's what they live for, to make sure. It's a hard thing. It's not an easy thing. You stand on their bones, but it's worth it. In verse 12, he cried out, my father, my father, don't forget me. Sons are waiting for their fathers to bless them and to tell them who they are. Tell me who I am. Tell me. Pastor Tom mentioned that wisdom comes through relationship. 
He talked about Pastor Summerall and how he spoke into his life. What he was doing is he was telling Pastor Tom, this is who you are, son. You're a man of perseverance. You have to understand that sons and daughters are waiting for their fathers to bless them. They need this so desperately. And the enemy is attempting to prevent the establishment of righteousness in the house. Okay? Righteousness, right relationship. He's trying so hard. Why is that? Because Deuteronomy 23 reads, A bastard shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord even to the tenth generation. Now, the number 10 speaks of completion and divine order. It speaks about that. It speaks about redemption, restoration. It's like the tithe that has the power of redemption. The 10%, the tithe that you give to God, has the power of redemption to knock the spirit of mammon off of the other 90%. And so, unto the 10th generation, we need to maintain the 10 generations, the power of redemption. We need the spirit of the bastard out of our churches because bastards cannot enter into the temple and worship and minister effectively. I'm telling you that in the States, we have a lot of orphans, orphan spirits, sons and daughters that don't know who they are. They don't know where they came from. They're not sure where they're going. They're lost, and there's no power there. They need desperately for a spiritual father, a spiritual mother to come alongside of them and tell them who they are, where they came from, so they can know where they are going. You can't know where you're going if you don't know where you came from. Desperately need this. So it's time. It's time to get this spirit out of the churches. So the sixth thing I want you to see quickly. I just want you to see in this story Elisha trying to fill the shoes of his father. The Bible says that Elisha picked up the cloak and he struck the water and he said, now, where is the God of Elijah? What he was saying simply is, be to me what you were to my father. Be the same God to me, Elisha, that you were to Elijah. The mantle they use is gonna be the mantle that we leave behind. The mantle that I use is the mantle that Brother Clinton had left behind. The mantle that the next generation leaves will be the mantle that I leave behind. Jesus said, I only do what I see my father do. That's why it's so important for you to be connected to a house like this. It's so important for you to be around men and women of God so that you can learn in their presence on how to touch the sacred. He is the God of the generations and it takes the generations to understand him. We learn a little bit from Abraham, a little bit from Isaac, and a little bit from Jacob. You have to learn from them. Every father, every father has to make sure that he finds a resting place for his spirit. For it says here in, in 2 Kings, right here, 2 Kings chapter 2, it talks about the spirit, in verse 15, the spirit of Elijah was resting upon Elisha. The sons of the prophets came up and they saw it. That same spirit that was on Elijah was now on Elisha. Listen, you have to find a resting place for your mantle. Those of you that are 50 and older, I challenge you to make sure that you begin looking to the future and you begin to invest in sons and daughters and make sure that you find a resting place for your anointing. 
The seventh and the last thing that I want to share with you in this story is the touch of a mantle. The touch of a mantle. 1 Kings 19.3. And when he saw that he went, excuse me, and when he saw that, he went for his life and came to Beersheba and he left his servant there. Now this is Elijah running from Elisha. Excuse me, running from Jezebel. Elijah running from Jezebel. You remember the story. After Mount Carmel, he runs from Jezebel. He came to a place in the wilderness and he left his servant behind, okay? But I want you to go down 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21 and read that Elijah went up to him, speaking of Elisha, and he threw his cloak around him and he said to him, go back for what have I done to thee? Then he said, Elisha set out to follow Elijah and he became his attendant. The servant stayed behind, the son wouldn't quit. Now listen to me, everyone in the room, listen to me. Servants are temporary, sons are forever. All sons will serve, but not all servants are sons. And how you see yourself will determine how you serve in the house. Make sure that you serve as a son and not as a servant. I thought servanthood was the highest calling. It's not, it's sonship, to be a son of the house. Because sons work for hourly wages. Servants, excuse me, work for hourly wages. Sons work for inheritance. Servants use language like me and mine. Sons use language like we and us. You've got to understand the difference between a servant and a son. A servant was told to stay. He said, okay, I'll wait right here. A son was told to stay, and he says, not on your life. I'm sticking with you until the very end. A son can't be dislodged. Can't do it. You can't do it. It's a son. So I ask you the question this morning. Do you serve as a, a servant or do you serve as a son? Think about it. Think about it. In closing, my old pastor, as I mentioned earlier, told me, he said, Randy, you, you preach. You preach out of who you are and not simply what you know. Don't just give information, but you have to be a living epistle, read and known of all men. So the mantle, the calling, the anointing on your life, and the man are one. Second Kings 2, and he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and he said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? Be to me what you were to him. Be, let the anointing that was on his life now be on my life. I want you to know, number two, in closing, that the enemy will discredit the father to discredit his mantle. The, the enemy would try to discredit your, your spiritual father. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't understand you. She doesn't know you. She doesn't care about you. He'll try to discredit your, your spiritual father and your spiritual mother so you'll throw away your mantle so that you'll lose your inheritance, so that you won't continue with the vision that was planted inside of you. And number three, every son fears his father's mantle won't fit. Every son does. Second Kings 2 again, and Elisha cried out, my father, my father, and he saw him no more, and he went, he rent his clothes, and he took up Elijah's mantle, and he said, now where is the, 
where is the God of Elijah? He, he tore his, his, his cloak off. He tore off his mantle, his, his outward clothing. And he put, on, he put on Elijah's mantle. And he was praying. Please be to me what you were to my father. As I mentioned earlier, through the years, I have prayed many times. Please be to me what you were to Brother Clinton and Brother Kilpatrick. And I would smell my mantle. And I would think, what would they do? What would Brother Clinton do? How would he handle this? How would Brother Clinton address this situation? I so longed for them just to be able to sit down and talk to me, but I couldn't. I had reached that point where I had to walk this out and I, I, I would smell that fragrance and I, would, I was so concerned that I couldn't be the man that they were. Here a few years ago, I was in prayer one morning at the house and I was praying and I thought of this as Pastor Tom was speaking about praying in tongues and then how suddenly you'll hear yourself praying out loud and, and, and it's almost like you're prophesying to yourself. And I, I've had that experience. And, and this particular morning, morning, I was praying like that. And I was praying and, and suddenly something came over me. And I heard myself praying out loud, help me to be the man that I need to be so you can be the God that I know you are. Help me to be the man that I need to be so you can be the God that I know you are. Every son is afraid that he won't fit in the mantle of his father. The last thing is, I've come here today to tell you, catching mantles is hard. Elijah told Elisha, it's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. It's not easy. But I'm here to tell you that it's worth it. And I want to encourage all the spiritual fathers and mothers in the house to make sure to make sure that you pass your mantle before you die because mantles were never intended to be worn as grave clothes. And I want to encourage you to empty yourself of everything. Empty it out. Pour yourself out because our graveyards are filled with mantles and anointings that were never passed down to the next generation. Empty yourself out and make sure that the next generation picks up your mantle because the garments of the high priest belong to the generations and we serve the God of Abraham who passed it to Isaac who passed it to Jacob my father's mantle why don't you stand with me this morning on time we have 15 minutes from now to pray I wish I could take a moment here and pray for every one of you and touch you with this mantle it just represents a symbolism that's all it is it's like anointing people with oil 
but I can't. But there'll be a time for that. There'll be a time. How many ministers do we have in the room that are under the age of 30? Would you raise your hand? You're under the age of 30. Pastor, evangelist, associate, worship leader. You're under the age of 30. Would you raise your hand? How many in the room? Oh, there's got to be more than that. How many young ministers do we have under the age of 30? Okay. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost of God, and the notes that were given to me, talking about the objectives for this prayer conference, it said that we want to make sure that we understand in this season of pay that we understand the power of our mouth and Pastor Tom is doing a phenomenal job with that. He said that we want to raise up sons and daughters and make sure they understand their assignment and how important it is that they step up now. They begin to prophesy. They begin to speak out. It's important that we have the fire of God fall on this new generation. It's important that we teach in this few days about purity and character. That integrity never goes on sale. You're always going to pay full price. These are the objectives and the goals that we have. So I, I really feel that I need to take just a moment right here and speaking about a noble man as Isaiah said, will make noble plans and by noble deeds he will stand. Simply saying that understanding that my life is not my own, I've been bought with a price. Nobility. I belong to him. That I need to make a noble plan for my life to nothing common in this world. To nothing common. And with that nobility, I will take my stand. When trials come and temptations come and the urge to quit and give up comes, I, I won't do it. I'll stand my ground. As Pastor Tom mentioned in that restaurant with Pastor Summerall, he, he was talking about, I I'm quitting, I'm giving up. But that old man of God reminded that mentee who he was. And there's a calling on your life. You've got to fulfill that calling. And he found the strength to come back and do this. Think of that. Nobility. The garments of my fathers, the mantle, the anointing, running the race, people depending upon me. You're here this morning and you'd say, Pastor, I've allowed things to creep into my life that don't belong there. There are things that 
I'm partaking of that I shouldn't be partaking of. I've allowed unrighteousness and sin to creep in and I forgot the garments of my fathers. I forgot the mantle that I carry. I forgot. I know it's been hard. I know it's been, but listen to me. What you feel around your neck is not a yoke, it's a mantle. What you feel around your neck, it's not a burden, it's joy. But I know it's hard, but you've allowed things to creep in. And today you need to make this right. There's nothing to be ashamed of. There's no fear of man in this room. We love you and we're here to stand together. Would you raise your hand? You just, you've got some things. You've got the courage to do it. Come on, man of God, woman of God, raise your hand up. Come on. You know there's some stuff in there. You forgot your nobility. You forgot, you forgot who you were and the mantle you carry and the garments that have been passed down to you. There's some things that have creeped in, some unrighteousness, some sin that you've allowed to come in. You, come on, put your hands up. I want you to make your way to this altar. Come on. This is a prayer conference, and we're going to make things right at the very beginning. Come on. You lifted your hand. You didn't lift your hand. I want you to come. Come on, man of God. Come on, woman of God. We're so proud of you. Listen, come on. There's more of you. Come on. Let, let go of the fear of man. And Who cares what people think? Who, who, who cares? People's opinion didn't make you, and people's opinion can't break you. Come on. Come on. Just slide up across this front. We're talking about nobility. We're talking about noble plans. We're talking about standing in our nobility as men and women of God. Come on. There's some stuff you got to deal with. So proud of you. I know the courage it took for you to come up here. God bless you guys. Amen. Amen. Oh, they're still coming. They're still coming. Come on, you didn't raise your hand, but you know you need to. Come on. Whatever it is in your life, whatever your Potiphar's wife is, whatever that temptation is, this morning I want you to find the courage and the strength to say, I cannot sow sin against my God. I can't so sin against my mantle, my calling. I cannot sin against the garments of my fathers that have been passed down from generation to generation. I can't do it and I won't do it. You got to make it right, right here, right now. And let's leave here today with a pure heart and clean hands. Isn't that so powerful that we serve the God of a second chance again and again and again? I can be a man or a woman of God that has a pure heart and clean hands. Let's pray this morning. Church, would you reach your hands this way? Put your hands out this way as we pray for these guys. Pastor Tom, you're the father of the house. Would you come? Come on. Why don't you lead us in prayer and I'm going to move out among them and I'm going to pray for them. Father, we thank you 
I thank you for men and women who are willing to stand before a holy God. Stand and confess. Stand and bear their hearts and ask for the anointing of their Father who is in heaven and Father of Father who is on earth. Father, today as we pray, as hands are being laid, as we bear our hearts, as we open our spirits to you, Lord, we ask that you would do what only your spirit can do. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would create in us a clean heart, renew in us a right spirit, restore to us the joy of our salvation, remove from us the yoke of bondage, deliver us from the law of sin and death, translate us into that which is life and liberty and freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, and we receive that liberty today in Jesus' name. Re re refresh us again. Refresh us again. Anoint us again. Itonte seni mango celebede. O ribendo bosa candele de bete. Eia brandi mosa tande de gesi de Hallelujah. 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 There's a renewal taking place here. A renewal. A refreshing taking place. Go ahead, receive it. Just receive it right here. There's an anointing and a refreshing that's taking place. A restoration, a restoration, a reformation, a reformation. Ubrinda de lebatai. Oh, there's a deep soaking, as our brother spoke about. A deep soaking. Let it soak. Imbraga de nomo sangue le mando mose. Ingonda le mande zengele de begasa. Umbre se de be dombo satande gato do do do. Hey, rababa samanamaki. Hey, oh, brasa tende. Hey, brasa de de se. Ho, rabakete se tete. Habobusite. Out of your belly shall flow rivers, rivers, rivers of living water. Out of your belly shall flow rivers, rivers, rivers of living water. Out of your belly, hurimba saninge lebatese, shall flow rivers, rivers, rivers of living water. A welling up, a rising up, a welling up. Come on, receive a welling up, a rising up. Receive a welling up, a rising up. In Jesus' name. There's an anointing. There's an anointing. There's an anointing. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's an anointing. There's a favor. There's a grace. There's a grace. Hombre se de be. Ye le 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 de be si tararabasa tararabanda. Indo lo lo bodere be gebarabasa tararabasa. Go ahead, soak in it. Just soak in it. Just take it. Drink it in. Drink it in. Hori bandarabasi tole le te de be si de de be te de be te de be ke. Hori bamba baba sinde abriando roso. Come on, there's waves coming. It's just waves. It's going all the way from the front to the back. All the way from the front to the back. It's going all the way to the back. 
There's a wave. It just comes. It comes in waves. Go ahead. There's callings. There's refreshings in the presence of the Lord. There's refreshing. Sweet, sweet Holy Spirit. Sweet, sweet Holy Spirit. I've made your tongue as the pen of a ready writer. I have made your tongue as the pen of a ready writer. I will cause you to write upon the tablets of men's hearts. And out of your belly, out of your belly shall flow rivers, rivers, rivers of living water. Even as you're being refreshed, refre be willing to refresh others. Out of your belly shall flow rivers, rivers, rivers of living water. Out of your belly, my spirit shall flow. Out of your belly, my spirit shall flow. Out of your belly, my spirit shall flow. I will anoint your tongue. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Open wide your hearts, open wide your hearts, open wide your hearts. Open wide your hearts. Another wave of his presence, another wave of his presence. Let it wash over you. Let it wash over you. We wait upon you, Lord. We wait upon you, Lord. Ile le le bon de le le bo to le le so ka 
Sometimes we love high power, high energy, high exhortation. But you know, I read the story of Elijah when he ran away from. Think about this. When he ran away from Jezebel, he went and hid in the cave. And if you study that story, it's amazing. It says that there was lightning and there was fire and there was thunder and there was all kinds of these powerful things but the voice of God was not in it but it says this it took his mantle and he wrapped it around his head and then when he could silence all of that noise he heard a still small voice see sometimes we have these meetings and it's and it's not wrong. There's times that it's the power of God. It's times you laying hands on people. I mean, people are falling out. I mean, and I love those moments. But we get so familiar. Or we become overawed or we look for that. But that's not where the voice of God is. Sometimes it's just right here. You just wrap your mantle, silence everything. And that one still small voice unlocks your next steps unlocks your destiny unlocks an anointing unlocks the ability to confront the Jezebel in your life to confront the situation in your life to take the mantle up again and anoint another to lead where you've been afraid to lead to take the brokenness of your life and revive you again. And that's where we're at today. Our nation needs this. We need men and women. We need pastors and leaders to say, hey, we've been through so much. Some of us have been disappointed. Some of us have been broken. Some of us have been hurt. Some of us are just even afraid to admit that we're afraid just God I don't know what to say I don't know what to do some of us are just keeping up appearances some of us feel trapped in our ministry I gotta keep doing it but I'm empty I feel like I'm running on empty that's why you're here it's time to be filled up filled up I believe by Saturday night 
there will be impartation taking place as you deal with this issue. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.